0: Hi, can I talk to you for a second? Sure. Uh, you're coming here for the Green Rush Job Fair? That's right. And so uh, do you think of the Green Rush as sort of like the Gold Rush? Most definitely. Uh, it's around the corner and there's um, plenty of places to flourish, uh, to have a career, to make money, and to grow. So I'm here to see where I might fit in. Thanks, good luck. Can I talk to you folks for a second? You're here for the Green Rush?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: What does the Green Rush mean for you?
1: <laughs> Opportunity. I'm just interested in seeing what they have available at the moment.
0: That's about it. How about you? Are you do you have a specialty?
2: Uh, doing quality management actually for an environmental firm is what I had been doing, but those skills are cross-transferable, I'm assuming. Uh-huh. Well, good luck to you. Thank you.
3: I never expected to come to a Cannabis Job Fair and see so many people in suits.
0: Welcome to episode 18 of Andy's Treasure Trove. I'm your host, Andy Moore. Here in San Francisco, where I live, and almost everywhere else in California, the legal medical use of cannabis has been going on for quite a few years now, and many people think that this coming November, California will pass a new law allowing adults to use cannabis legally without a doctor's recommendation, and the legal cannabis industry is poised for stunning growth in the near future. It's an industry that's full of smart, interesting people with great stories to tell about the cannabis world and its remarkable evolution. People who are contributing to a revolution in medical and recreational cannabis availability and quality in these exciting last days of cannabis prohibition. In order to talk to a lot of people in this industry all at once, I decided to go to the cannabis job fair called Join the Green Rush, sponsored by GreenRush.com, a company that connects cannabis patients in California with delivery services throughout the state. Jude Whitman, operations manager of Green Rush, provided me with a press pass and made himself available for the first interview I conducted there. We sat upstairs in the mezzanine of San Francisco's Regency Ballroom, overlooking the job fair, which was buzzing with activity.
4: My name is Jude Whitman, and I'm director of operations of a company called Greenrush.com and our core competency is connecting tens of thousands of California medical cannabis patients to delivery services that are available in whatever location they happen to be in the state. Um, so, we partner with over 255 medical cannabis delivery services throughout the state. And what we were noticing is is that all of these businesses, in addition to the other ancillary cannabis businesses like manufacturers and cultivators that we interact with on a regular basis, they were, they were experiencing tremendous staffing challenges. Um, and so, we had the idea, you know, we're in this sort of nexus point between patients, many of whom are interested in cannabis positions because of their experience with cannabis, um, and uh, delivery services and dispensaries and then the ancillary businesses, and we decided to bring them all together in honor of our one year anniversary this, uh, this April. Society stigmatizes people who work in the industry and who are medical cannabis patients uh, as you know, lazy as stoners, as lacking ambition or, or 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 the ability to work hard, and all experience that I've had in the last two years as a cannabis industry professional has, has indicated exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. These are some of the most dedicated, intelligent, passionate, hardworking waking up at five thirty AM individuals, it's it's really a remarkable industry to, 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 to operate within
0: and I'm I'm excited about it. Well you mentioned the stigma and I assume that's going to be changing rapidly, and in fact, it already is. I'm sure. But is that a particular challenge in terms of recruiting?
4: Sure, sure. I mean, I think that I think that a lot of people uh, don't necessarily consider the cannabis industry to be a viable industry because of that stigma and because of the absurd regulations and legal infrastructure that that, that is in place currently. All I can say is is that events like this, every single time I go to a professional conference or uh, a a job fair like join the Green rush. I realized how incredibly hungry people are to enter this industry to work hard, to be innovative, to be creative, to be disciplined, to be hardworking it's it's a it's a heartwarming atmosphere.
0: After speaking with Jude I went downstairs to the main floor and ran into Brent Southby who is in charge of cannabis cultivation at Bay Area Safe Alternatives Dispensing Collective about the challenges of finding quality employees for his dispensary as well as his background and
2: how he got into the cannabis industry. We have a dispensary over on Grove and Divisadero for about the last 14 years or so. 14 years? Is that one of the oldest in the city? We were the first dispensary to apply for a permit once we were able to apply. We weren't the first issued, but the first grouping of dispensaries that started with permits, um, here we are. You know, uh, the first flush of dispensing collectives that were created, pretty much everyone intimately knew each other because we worked to get each other into business. We helped each other out. We created rules and regulations that we could follow. And so the first flush of dispensaries, I would say we all know each other quite well. Uh, Some of the newer people uh, and organizations who were coming in, I'm not too familiar with, because there's not the same apparatus in place. We don't all need each other to go into business anymore.
0: Well, (laughs) so this is a job fair that we're at today. What kind of people have you been interested in, and what kind of people have you met and interacted with today who are looking for
2: work? You know, that's kind of the semi-depressing part about being at a job fair, is you see the wide variety of people with great experience. Well, I talked to a guy who was a lawyer who's willing to work as a trimmer. 18 dollars an hour job. It's kind of a huge leap, but then you know in the line of people looking for work, uh, all kinds. So the jobs we have open for, we have uh, garden positions, we have bud tender positions, and we have drivers. Uh, We're also looking for web developers so we can continue keeping a good web presence. And social media seems to be challenging to keep the same same identity because you know the accounts get dumped so fast, just like uh, banking and cannabis industry don't go together. Social media you lose all your uh, audience when you lose that thing, uh, so I don't know, we're looking for that uh, type of help. And then uh, when it comes to our um, graphic arts, every time we get a new strain or a new thing, we need to take a picture and give a good description on our website, that kind of thing. So those are the kind of jobs we're filling. Uh, I run the gardens for BASA, so my focus is getting people to work in the garden. We're looking for leaf pluckers clean out the lower third of the bush inside of our indoor garden so we can get more airflow and such, Uh, and then uh, trimmers we're always looking for as well as the other positions. But for the most part, you know, everybody, every position we have, people have been applying for Uh, We're looking for quality workers. Uh, So finding people who need a job is easy. Uh, Finding people who want to work in the cannabis industry is easy. People who take it serious, like it's a real job that they have to show up to on time, and work while they're there until quitting time, that seems to be a rarity. The perception that it's weed and you're just going to be at a pot party all day is what people miss the point of. We just work for a living. It's another job. It's nice that we've chosen a profession we love to work in, but nonetheless, you know, we work all day. At the end of the day, we quit. Uh, And I think a lot of people miss that link. That's why uh, the people who seem to come and go more rapidly are the ones who realize, oh, this is work.
0: Well, you sound like you're pretty happy in this industry.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess about when I was 12 years old and tried my first bag of weed and found a seed in it, that's when I first started growing. I was flicking my seeds into my strawberry patch outside of our house and my mother one day says, go weed the garden. It's weed. So I put a plant in a pot and I put it in my room. Like, "Go, well, I'm gonna grow some pot. Well, my mom finds it. She calls the cops. They come and pick me up at school where I just happen to have weed also. I'm suspended from school. I'm put in a cage for a little bit of time. And uh, I recognize the severity of this plant and our interaction with it. So since that time, of course, I have a reverence for its status legally, but also a boldness that it's the right thing. It's a plant. I've I've grown uh, during my time in the Marines. I grew on Camp Pendleton. I've planted seeds around the White House. I enjoy cannabis and growing it. Uh, And while, yes, it's been stigmatized for a long time, it's getting better. Uh, When I first became a patient in 2000, for instance, my family had a bunch of problems. And one of the things my children, my mother tried to use in court was, hey, he grows weed. At the time, uh, yeah, I was growing weed cops came and raided my garden and found me to be compliant that has repeated itself I've been raided seven times and not once have I been found non-compliant never have they killed a plant or put me in a cage since I've been a patient and I appreciate that and and as an activist and a vocal activist I recognize that you know I do what I do because we've worked hard to make it allowable and whatever I'm doing I'll stand up and say yeah I'm growing some cannabis so uh I was uh, a member of a church, I was on a church board, Glad Tidings over here in the Fillmore District of San Francisco, it's an Assemblies of God church. Pretty fundamentalist, cut-and-dry, right-and-wrong kind of church, and I was uh, ostracized entirely during uh, the time I first started becoming a patient, which was 16, 15, 16 years ago now. Uh, now. I still go there, by the way. Uh, I'll go to church, and now people realize oh, yeah, it's just medicine. Uh, and it helps to have a uh, congregation that's getting older and realizing oh, yeah, it helps me too. So, yeah, it's a total shift from being, you know, you're a sinner, you should go to our rehab home, to, oh, all right, you're just another guy working for a living, raising your kids. So, I've gone. Uh, my children have been born and raised, and my daughter's graduating in high school this year. She's going to college in Boston at the end of the summer. My son's 15. He's, eh, he's selling at skateboarding more than schooling, but uh, every day of their lives has been paid for with cannabis, and uh, I'm not ashamed whatsoever to say that. I appreciate the plant and what it does for us, and that's why I work in the industry.
0: Next, I talked to Judy, age 74 and Nora, age 40, who were there to check out the job fair and scope out the cannabis industry in general. Are you job seekers?
5: I'm kind of a retired person, so I don't need a job. But I smoke grass, and I grow it, and I just wanted to see what the industry looked like.
0: And have you done anything yet? Have you talked to anybody, or did you just arrive?
5: Walked around, we talked with people, we picked up some samples, and a lot of stickers, and (laughs) had nice conversations, and looks like they need a lot of the delivery people.
0: (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about your own personal history with, with this plant?
5: Well, for one thing, I've grown it for many years off and on, and at first, I really had this thought that the marijuana plant was an emissary from the plant world to ours because I've always been a gardener, but I know so many people who became gardeners by growing that seed, that marijuana seed, and getting into plants. It made a lot of people appreciate growing things. I'm enjoying it, and I, I'm old now, so I have aches and pains, and I think it helps. Uh, he, my husband, her father, likes wine, and he'd much rather drink alcohol. They're finally going to get some good science about marijuana. It's been, you know, just kind of not studied in, in a sort of scientific way. I mean, there's a lot, an awful lot of stuff that people have learned, but not necessarily, you know, in labs. And I would like to do more edibles, and I've baked cookies and things that you, you just never know what you're going to get, what things are going to turn out You're doing good. to The you. ones you made recently were good. More of them. I can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last ones. But so do you have one cookie? Do you have two? I mean a couple bites. Yeah. That was it for me. That was good. (laughs) That was really for me that was like, you know, look at me just eating a tiny bit of a donut. But that was you know, enough to do the trick.
0: At the Green Rush Job Fair there were a group of doctors from an organization called Hello MD who were seeing people there that needed a cannabis recommendation. I spoke briefly to Doctor Perry Solomon chief medical officer of Hello MD. I'm curious about the doctors and how they came to it. You can't speak for all of them, but tell me what brought you to this industry and maybe your philosophy of medicine having to do with cannabis and, and what your job is
1: like in this kind of a role. Okay. Well, it's a very good question. So, I'm an anesthesiologist uh, board certified by training and I practiced anesthesia for 20 something years and then left anesthesia per se and went into doing other medically related administrative jobs, medical director jobs, and fell in with uh, Mark Hatfield and Pamela Hatfield, who started this along with myself in March of last year. Then they transitioned and pivoted from what they had been doing before in the medical tech industry in terms of trying to get patients involved with second opinions with physicians from all over the world, there was a lot of competition and a lot of money needed to be involved in that, so we all we pivoted to doing telehealth evaluations for patients in California, where it's the only state that it's legal to be able to do a telehealth evaluation. Um, all other states require an, a person-to-person interview, and the other 24 that have it, and essentially what we think they're doing, and they really are doing, is limit- access to the patients who can't get physically to a doctor's office either because of transportation issues they're in a wheelchair the doctor doesn't live anywhere close to them um, or the doctors in an area of the city or town where they don't want to go because of the danger involved so this is a place and we hear it from thousands of our patients they say thank goodness you're available to do this because I couldn't ever see a doctor before or get evaluated in this way to be able to get my recommendation um, so, uh, and that's pretty much how I got involved in it. I'm the chief medical officer. So I essentially screened a lot of the doctors or all of the doctors before they come on board. So we'd wind up. So now we have about 25 doctors really throughout the country that uh, are, are, you know, boarded here in California and have their medical license able to evaluate patients in California from anywhere they are physically, the patient is physically in California.
0: So it doesn't matter where the doctor is, it matters where the patient is. Correct. Excuse me one second. While I was talking with Dr. Solomon, more and more people were lining up outside for medical cannabis recommendations. And a man named Larry, a partner at Hello MD, asked me to interview him instead so that Dr. Solomon could attend to them
6: and larry what's your role here at this job fair i am here helping to operate the rush md services so that we can help people who are looking for jobs in the cannabis industry make sure that they have a medical marijuana card ahead of time and we are a partner of green rush do you mind telling me how uh physicians come into this line of work? Do they find you? Do you find them? So when we started, uh, we found them because it was very important to us to curate our physicians and make sure that we had folks who really wanted to do this and who had good bedside manner and who understood cannabis. And we're not just doing this to write a a recommendation and get paid. So at the beginning, actually, it was a little hard to find them. Um, But now, as our brand has become the leading brand in providing consults online, The doctors are now coming to us, which gives us a great opportunity to be selective among them, look at their records, talk to them, and then all of our doctors go through a HelloMD developed training and certification to make sure that we feel like we can put them in front of our patients. And did you say that HelloMD is only in California now? For the moment, HelloMD as a telemedicine service is only in California. Uh, We have recently launched a service called Answers, which is an online service which is an extension of what we do. You can go in and at any time of the day and type questions in and our doctors will come and answer them. That service can be used by anybody in the world. That is a free service. Because what we found is our patients have so many questions. We talk to them every day and they ask us questions about product and who to buy from and how to do it. and you know, Just endless. And, and, and we can only answer so many of them. And the doctors in a consult session can only answer so many of them. And so, we decided that, that this would be the best way to, to, to get them those answers, to do it in a Q&A model online. Now,
0: a lot of us are looking for medical cannabis to, to expand to
6: use without a permit. What is that going to do to your business model? You know, there's, there's, there's a couple things there. Um, one is, if you look at the states that have gone recreational, there's still very much a medical marijuana uh, market in those states. Um, I live in Colorado. Last year we sold a billion dollars of marijuana. Over 400 million was sold through the medical marijuana dispensaries, and you must have a card to go into, that, to, into those dispensaries, and that's two years since legalization. What that says is that those on the medical side still want better services, better products, and to be treated more in a medical perspective, and that requires a card to do so. So we think that there will forever be a medical market, number one. Number two, in California, if they vote yes in November, everybody's best guess is that it'll take at least 18 months from the vote until you can go down the street and just use your license and be of age and walk into a dispenser, which means that at least for another two years, at least for another two years, what you see today is what you get. You need to be compliant. Um, and the third thing is is that this is just part of our business. Uh, the, the service that I referred to earlier, Answers, has a lot more planned behind it. And that is our, 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 our feature set that allows us to serve the world and not only California. So frankly, I hope that it goes recreational because at the end of the day, the net is, is that more people come into the market and we'll be there to educate them as to how to best uh, make use of marijuana for therapeutic purposes.
0: Next, I talked with a man named Brandon from a new dispensary in town called Urban Farm. He expressed some surprise at the pool of job seekers who were dropping off resumes. So here we are at a job fair and I see a box it looks like it maybe it's full of resumes. What kind of hiring are you doing and what do you what kind of interactions you've been having with the people who are here today?
7: Well, really we're new. We just opened up in January. So we're growing a ton. And while our staff is great, and I'll never say a bad thing about them, we're still, we always want to be better. So we're looking for stronger team members. Um, If you look on the chart, it basically says we're hiring everything from managers, security, front door, photographers, writers. We're looking for help because we always want to be better. We want to, if we ever feel like we need someone new, we want to look through a pile and say, "Oh, let's let's interview these people. Let's hire them." Um, this is important to us because our growth is our number one priority after our patients. These events and being able to really interact with everybody, see the industry, um, it's really interesting. From one thing, it's a there's a it's a lot older at some points than I would expect, and it, and it's interest it's great to see that as time goes on, more and more different. Uh, Subsectors of society are coming into the mix and are not only members of ours, but they're they're trying to get into the community. They want to work with it. They really they're like, oh, I couldn't do this 30 years ago. Now I can, you know. Like I wish I this is what happened when I was out of college. Like so, it's it's great to see. And the word I heard most today was passion. I I try to tell ask people why they're coming here, why they're looking for a job. Passion. They really want to work in this and. It's an industry where people aren't so jaded. It's it's not working in big oil or yeah, anything else. It's it's an industry where people just love what they do and they love the people they've interacted with. A lot of people will say, oh, I went to a dispensary and everyone was so nice and happy. It's not like that when I go to, I'm not gonna drop any name, but another random store. You know, it's like... Bebmo. Yeah. Okay, you did it. I didn't do it. But yeah. And they're right across the street. Yeah, Exactly, but it's not a corporate atmosphere. It's something people are really... As we get more official, people are really going to love exactly what this is becoming. Because it's a market that grew completely different than any other market out there because of the different uh, oversights and stuff. It's it's truly unique.
0: How do you see a medical marijuana dispensary fitting into a world where people don't have to necessarily get a a permit to, to buy it?
7: Honestly, that, that's a tough question for me. Uh, I can't really give a straight answer to it. It depends what laws are get surrounded by it. Um, if if medical just becomes, it's the it's a shade above. It's just a little better. We really have the official stuff. If the if there's random laws put on recreational that medical doesn't that doesn't follow, um, I can't tell you how it will play out. Um, I can't tell you it will be better for everybody once people can get the medicine or get the medicine they need. Because right now, I mean, even having to go into a doctor's office, it can be tough for some people with anxiety and dealing with the issues they have today. Um, So going forward, I can't say where it's going to be, but I don't think it'll be better than it was 10 years ago when people were getting locked up in jail for it. Next,
0: I spoke with Ben Bradley of the California Cannabis Industry Association, a trade and lobbying organization about the PTSD he suffered after a stint in the army, how cannabis helped him, and his current efforts in Sacramento, our state capital, on behalf of the cannabis industry.
8: Personally, I was became a patient five years ago. I was a veteran. I got out in 07. I was on multiple different prescription pills for PTSD. And then I saw what happened to a, a friend of mine who became a patient as well, so I took that option as well. and. It, was life-changing and I just got involved through of the industry and in realizing how do you make change in policy? Policy is where you actually affect change in industry.
0: And how do you personally, how have you experienced the, the lessening but the still present stigma uh, when you're talking about something to legislators that might, you know, have their stereotypes or their ingrained views about things? Is there a particular way that you've found that you can open their minds or
8: change their minds? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's no, no denial the Reefer Madness era still exists. But when you're talking to somebody that still holds on to those values, you listen to them and you hear their concerns. Don't blow them off. And you have to see legitimate how where their concerns really are and you address it where they are. I grew up as a conservative family. My parents are were pastors growing up as a pastor's kid and hardcore Republican conservative. And they've realized the switch over, which kind of gives us a good insight on how to address it from that point of view.
0: I assume it helped them, your own personal story, uh, with how it helped you, their son.
8: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you see a transition in someone's life, it's undeniable. Mistakes, you can see someone's personal life can change with just one small switch. Can't argue with that.
0: (laughs) After talking with Ben, I took a break from the job fair to have a more quiet conversation at a nearby café with Mario Ferloni, who made a documentary called Pot Country that focuses on the rapidly changing world of cannabis growers in Humboldt County, California. He talked about making that documentary with his partner, Kate McLean, and how they're now turning it into a feature-length narrative film. Our conversation started with Mario's reflections on what made the Humboldt cannabis growing scene a compelling topic for the documentary. I think what
9: fascinated both both myself and uh, my collaborator, uh, Kate McLean, was the contrast that you found there of, of idealism and greed and uh, of, um, of extreme beauty and um, and then you'd find a place that was completely trashed. And I think we, we made a, a Venn diagram at some point that, that had magical and gross, you know, and I think that world, especially up there, to, to me, exists in that, in that middle spot. But then you have, you know, a younger generation, some people who, who moved there later, and, um, with, and I think also some of, some of the uh, people who originally went there, the sort of new values that are much more commercial, much more make as much as you can, fast, grow it in any way you can, by whatever means. Necessary um, if you want to, if you have to use fertilizer, use fertilizer. If you have to use, um, if you have to import all your soil, if you have to just two, uh, a couple months ago, someone had stolen deep water from a school, they just went to the water tank in the school and siphoned off the, the water for their growth. So, you know, and as it becomes more and more legal, strangely enough that means that, that, that this new economic hierarchy becomes more and more brutal and that sort of mom and pop um, hippie outlaw grower is a bit of a relic I think and that's still, but that, that still exists in our minds I think and when we think of humble we don't think of you know you know it's it's done with diesel and it's like indoors and it's all you know with artificial lights and they still have an image of like it's free and it's beautiful and and that's the magic of it but the reality is very different. But uh, it's not a heroes and villains in my mind, it's more a clash of, of, uh, of ideology that I think is very, is, is very representative of the clash of ideology that we see in American society today.
0: Now, I've seen your film, and on one hand, there's the conflict of the old-timers in the Garberville area who uh, see these hippies come in in the 70s, and that Big shift, but we're talking beyond that. We're talking the shift from those people to more corporate or you know, larger, more reckless uh, grow operations. There's a lot of fear,
9: I think, from what we hear. The you know of legalization, full legalization, and also there's both fear and, and joy, you know, at the same time, which is on the part of the growers. On the part of the growers, yeah, and I think on the part of the of uh, of, of smaller growers, there's this fear that um, like the highest expression that is a little almost paranoid, you know, paranoid is this that that, you know, Marlboro and, uh, you know, the big pharma companies are going to come in. If you're not aligning yourself with this new direction, this new, more corporate, more business oriented direction, um, you're going to be left behind.
0: Then Mario told me about some of the things that they couldn't properly portray in the documentary film but will be able to include in the new feature film that they're basing on the world that they discovered making the documentary. We went down this rabbit hole at some point. Of uh, We had
9: heard several people tell us that growers would sometimes release their guard dogs after the season was over, and that these guard dogs, there were packs of wild dogs roaming the hills of Humboldt. And we, when we heard that, we were like, Oh my God, this is incredible. We need to find these dogs. (laughs) It seemed so, you know, symbolically significant. And, uh, so we, uh, tracked down a trapper, um, who works for the federal government trapping mostly coyotes and, and wolves and, the word was that his nickname was Dog Killer, and uh, we tra- we we tracked him down and we tried to get him. You up- tracked him down. We tracked we tracked the, the, the tracker down, and uh, when we tried to get him to do an interview, and uh, understandably he was like, "No, thank you very much." <laughs> for for a few months, we were trying to find these dogs and talk to people like, "Oh yeah, who had cattle," and say, "Oh yeah, they came and attacked the cattle." and so, for the fiction film, we're, we're bringing those dogs in as a uh, <laughs> that's the beauty of fiction no it is I mean it, and I think the reason we are now working on a fiction project is that um years after we made the dock, um, we would Kate and I would get together and, and have a beer and 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 have all these these people and these stories and these research and this, that were just still haunting us right and um what you know. What if we made it into a fiction? Where we, what if we sort of remove it just enough so that we can talk about some of those things that we couldn't really approach as a documentary, especially the, early, the younger generation was there. You know, it's just such a rich world, um, and uh, we were surprised that nobody has done a good drama, a good drama thriller kind of film about that. You know, um, it's you know most of the films about pot are comedies and. Even the good ones are sort of like treat the growers are as like with a wink and a nod and like as, as a joke. There was also a lot of people that we talked to who uh, found it very liberating to be able to talk to somebody about what they did, about this, the, the secretive lives that they've led. But when we said, hey, can we turn the camera on now? <laughs> uh, they, they got cold feet, etc. So So it was a series of heartbreaks of like finding these amazing stories and then, Dop. Can't, we, we can't incorporate that in the film. So that's, that was part of also the motivation of making a fiction film is to be able to use this information that, is, that we have.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the reasons that I'm a podcaster is that people are different in front of a microphone okay. than they are in front of a camera. Well, that noon siren reminded me that I had to get back to the Green Rush job fair and talk to a few more people there. Let's listen now to Mustapha Feliz of Oaksdardam University across the bay in Oakland, California, about the pioneering curriculum that they offer students.
10: Uh, we provide education for, for the cannabis industry. We have two programs. Uh, our horticulture program uh, goes into detail about cannabis cultivating, A to Z, and we have live plants on site. Uh, we teach with uh, real plants. This enlightened plant has uh, over 120 cannabinoids and uh, right now we're finding out that there are so many terpenes that activates these cannabinoids and we have the same DNA as the plant and all these beautiful cannabinoids can uh, activate our receptors and it's a whole plant and that's what we uh, providing information and education for everybody needs to know everybody's body is different just like a fingerprint and these cannabinoids can uh, help you or not help you in some cases and by changing the ratios of the plants it's not about sativa indica or where it grows anymore it's about those profiles and by testing and understanding more and educating more and learning more about the cannabis i think well prohibition is what's stopping us from finding out more about cannabis so first i think we need to take care of that and free the cannabis free the plants uh, I think cannabis is for everyone and it could be everyone's medicine. I believe in the plants. I don't think a plant should be banned nor uh, put it in jail. So we need to put it out in the sunlight because that's where the plant grows the best. I think everybody should grow this plant and should be free.
0: The next person that I spoke to at the Join the Green Rush job fair was Craig Shell head of the Lake County Cannabis Alliance.
3: It's basically an organization of 300 organic cannabis growers in Lake County, actually outdoor cannabis growers. So our primary focus is uh, you know, regulation, local regulation, and uh, best practices, growing best practices, and brand awareness. Developing our brand and our Appalachian throughout the state. We're working, you know, helping, helping each grower Brand his own product from his farm, and brand as part of the association. Is it hard getting 300 growers to organize and? It's, it's, it's extremely hard. <laughs> so how do you do it? Uh, just basically word of mouth, knocking on doors, driving up the dirt roads. You know, being there. I've been there 25 years, knowing people. Uh, if I don't know you, I know someone who knows you. And it's all—it's all that kind of. You have to be around. You have to be kind of involved for a long time to gain people's trust. And uh, beyond that, it's kind of hard to bring everyone up into the digital age. A lot of these guys that are growing—you know—moved up there in the '60s. They don't have email. They don't have smartphones. They don't have computers. And to bring them into this world, that's another another big challenge. Besides just networking.
0: I bet it is. And here you are at the job fair, hiring uh, marketing people, brand ambassadors, and extractors. Now, wh- what would be the qualifications of an extractor?
3: Well, basically, we have a couple of Apex CO2 machines, and we're looking for someone that has experience with those. Uh, right now, a lot of the farmers are not getting uh, fairly compensated for their trim, and uh, we want to be able to do the uh, extraction cooperatively as an organization and uh, compensate the farmers uh, for their trim in a more uh, equitable manner. So it's gonna be kind of on the Grange model. You know, up to the last couple years, the material you use for extract has just been waste. You know, I mean, most guys burned it because they didn't want it around to be charged with it as a crime, you know? So only in the last few years, it's become a valuable commodity. And uh, you know when you when you can produce it into oil, it may actually be equal to be as equal value as the as the bud as the flower product.
0: Any difference between the growing that's going on in Lake County compared to say Mendocino County?
3: Well, I would say. Eastern Mendocino County and Western Lake County along the Mayo Compass Mountains, they're both, they're just the same mountain range, but on the different ridges. And that, in my opinion, is the premier growing area in the state. You're inland enough where you don't have problems with fog and mold, and uh, you're close enough to the coast where it's not too uh, too dry, too overly hot. Uh, very little very little to do with pests. Basically anywhere you can grow good Cabernet Sauvignon grape, you can grow good cannabis. So are those two
0: crops competing in any place you know?
3: Well, we're not a big enough industry yet to compete with the grape industry. Where our footprint is so much smaller. I mean, we're you know, doing quarter acres and half acres right now. So maybe, uh, I, think if it, I don't think we'll ever be more than uh, you know, 100 acres or something like that. I don't think the state will ever allow anything larger than that.
0: I know vineyards are quite contentious sometimes because of the chemicals they use and the impact on the land.
3: You really can't grow anywhere near a vineyard if you want to go clean, organic cannabis. You have to be at least a mile away. I've known a lot of people who have had problems with that. They've had to relocate.
0: Next on my list of folks to seek out was Paul Warshaw, founder and CEO of the Green Rush Group, who was putting on the job fair. So it seems like kind of a golden moment and You must feel the same.
11: Yeah, I'm just excited to be a part of it. I mean, um, I feel privileged to be involved and having conversations like this and it's only going to grow from here and it's just looking the professionalism in the room versus what you might have found if you did a job fair two years ago is so exciting. There's people here that have worked at Fortune 500 companies and they're looking to Explore opportunities in the cannabis industry, so it's just indicative of where the industry is headed I I think something recently that really was just awesome to me is that we had a patient Order from greenrush.com on their mobile phone and she was 88 years old so medical marijuana patient and 88 years old and was able to have a smartphone sign up get verified place an order on her phone and within an hour she had she had cannabis delivered to her doorstep. She has chronic pain in her feet, so she ordered some CBD cream for her feet, and then she ordered some pre roll joints to help her sleep at night. And it's it just shows, I mean, I think a lot of this gets lost that the community needs it, but it was just exciting to see someone that didn't grow up in the technology era, was able to utilize our platform to, you know, to get cannabis literally delivered to her doorstep. And she wasn't even well enough to leave the house, so it's a perfect solution. I really appreciate that the tide is turning, and you seem to be a, a big part of that, so thank you for your part in that. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, hear more from this podcast and continue to follow what you're up to. It's, it's, it's interesting to see your enthusiasm and excitement, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. So thanks for uh, spending a few minutes with me.
0: Finally, I made my way back to Jude Whitman of Green Rush to thank him for inviting me to the fair and to get some of his final thoughts on the importance of the so-called Green Rush, at this point in history,
4: uh, it, it's interesting because my, my own story of going from a public school teacher to a successful cannabis industry professional it ma- ma- makes a lot of sense actually. Like it seems like you don't you wouldn't necessarily want public educators like being open about being a cannabis patient or being a cannabis professional, but I think that it's exactly the opposite. Like. You know, if I went into the wine industry and became a technology and marketing expert in the wine industry, I don't think that anybody would have any issue with that. And it's not an alcohol versus versus cannabis argument, but it is about... Uh, that stigma that we that we were referencing earlier and I don't think that that it's appropriate to, to stigmatize public educators who are patients for valid reasons or or who or who are excited about entering an industry that that offers tremendous growth opportunity like this this conception that we have of teachers as very bland individuals is part of the reason why we have so many bland individuals as educators who are who are ineffectual and the reality is is that the people who are charismatic and and exciting and and, and effective educators oftentimes are are sort of marginalized out of the system themselves. And that's something that that we have to change. My, My biggest personal goal here is to connect. There is a massive employment gap that exists in our country and even in the Bay Area, which is far more economically... Uh, uh, positive than other areas of the country. There's still a huge gap that exists in employment between underemployed and unemployed individuals and, um, and, and 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 folks that have full-time jobs with with living wages and benefits. And a lot of the jobs down here that are being offered do include benefits. They do include a living wage, and and they're the key to. Entire communities, and I'm not just saying like low income and minority communities, I'm saying all communities have this incredible opportunity to, to radically transform their lives and their communities' lives by uh, acquiring these jobs this it's it's a process of empowerment and i want to i i'm so excited to see that process of empowerment occurring directly in front of us right now literally watching over the job fair as it happens where in this in this room right now there are dozens of people who will walk away with jobs from this opportunity and their lives will be radically positively transformed that's what i'm excited about It was always this underground thing that that had this stigma attached to it and you were uncertain as to whether or not you could tell this person or that person about it. And now it can be a defining quality on your resume. That's a pretty dramatic transformation in society, right? And and one that I think is, is, is definitely beneficial.
0: I'd like to thank everyone I talked with as I learned a lot about the exploding cannabis industry. I'd also like to thank you, my listeners, for listening, and ask you to please email or call me with your thoughts about cannabis prohibition coming to an end, or about anything else on your mind. My email is andy at andystreasuretrove.com, and the phone number is 415-508-4084. Please let me hear from you, and please share the podcast with your friends and on social media. I appreciate it very much. All rights reserved by Andy Moore. Thanks for listening.